Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Ladies, we know what we want from our birth control. But what about what's in our birth control? That's why I chose the 100% hormone-free Paragard intrauterine copper contraceptive. It's the only birth control that uses just one simple active ingredient to prevent pregnancy over 99% of the time, with no hormones and no daily routines. Paragard is a small IUD that prevents pregnancy for up to 10 years using copper. Ready to get what you want? Talk to your healthcare provider to see if Paragard could be right for you. Don't use if you have a pelvic infection, including PID, get infections easily, certain cancers, Wilson's disease, or a copper allergy. Pregnancy is rare but can be life-threatening and cause infertility or loss of pregnancy. Paragard may attach to or go through the uterus. Tell your healthcare provider if you miss a period, have abdominal pain, or it comes out. At first, periods may become heavier and longer with spotting in between. It won't protect against HIV or STDs. For product information or to learn more, visit Paragard.com. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Marcus, we love to dig into all kinds of things here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll podcast. And we're going to dig into one of our, as you call them, anomalies, birthday twins this week on the podcast. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. This week, buddy, we're going to talk about two guys born the same date, same year, on opposite sides of the pond, August 25th, 1951, coming up on their 71st birthday we're talking about the metal god, Robert John Arthur Halford. If you want to find us, yeah, yeah. Oh, And his birthday twin, Robert J. Mayo. Bob Mayo, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Mayo. People are going to know Bob Mayo through his music more than his name. I don't care where I go when I'm with When I cry, you don't laugh. 
I think they're going to be surprised by how much of his music that they know, buddy. There's no doubt about it. They're going to be like, I know that song. I know that song. I know that song. So, yes. And he's most famous for his piano solo on Do You Feel Like We Do on Frampton Comes Alive. And Peter Frampton's a big part of his story. Well, given that the odds are that Rob Halford of Judas Priest was born first because he was born in Sutton Coldfield, England, I thought maybe we should start with Rob Halford on this edition of Birthday Twins. And as always, the imbalanced history of rock and roll is powered by Boldfoot Socks and Crooked Eye Brewery right in the heart of Hatboro since 2014. Well, Rob and Bob, they started a few years before 2014. Let's just say that, Marcus. August 25th, 1951. And I did some digging into where Sutton Coldfield, England is. It's a royal parish outside or part of Birmingham, England. And he moved, Rob Halford, and lived a good chunk of his life in Walsall, which is just across the river from downtown Birmingham. And we know how important that city is to metal music. Now, our royal parishes, parishes of people who are employed by the Queen? Research department. I'm pretty sure that's not the case, but you just never know, Marcus. Let's see what the research team comes back with. And we're talking about the origins of the metal god. Wait a minute. They've already got an answer what? for you, but yeah. Um, they might have used the uh, magic eight ball for this one because the outcome looks doubtful as the population of Sutton Coldfield, or Sutton as they call it, is 95,000 plus. So. And doubtful that there's 95,000 royals all in one place in England, but, you know, it is a good thought. But we know why Birmingham is so popular, man, because of Sabbath. And as fans learned after Led Zeppelin launched, both Plant and Bonham were from Birmingham. It was starting to be a hot spot. And Halford and the guys from Judas Priest came together in that city as part of the next wave of artists that was going to rock through the 70s and beyond. Halford was working at a clothing store when he was introduced to Judas Priest bassist and co-founder Ian Hill by his sister Sue, who was dating the cat at the time. He was in a band called Hiroshima, and really, there isn't a lot of information about what was going on in Birmingham at that time. It's been hard to really find details like some of the details we've been able to procure about Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones and some of those bands. We don't have these details about what was going down in Birmingham at that time, other than they started, they got going, they met, blah de blah de blah and Blotty? Blotty blah blah? Oh bloody oh blah <laughs> Okay, I like that. <laughs> but the thing is, what we do know is they end up signed to a small label and in a studio with a guy whose name we've talked about on the podcast before, Roger Bain, producer of Black Sabbath Records, and by the way, also would produce records for Budgie will be part of our discussion here as metal launches in england the results of those sessions rock arola 
like Coca-Cola, but Rockerola, released in September 1974. And this is right in the middle of the wave that's starting to really look like heavy metal as a thing. We mentioned Roger Bain. Well, Budgie had released their debut album in 1974. Also in 74, UFO. And the Scorpions in November with their second album, which really was like their first album. So these names all sound familiar to metal fans, right? And these bands are all just like Judas Priest in the fact that they're all young and getting their feet under them and, you know, trying to put it all together. Finding out how the switches work, are we? And trying to put their vision into sound and also releasing right in the middle of this is the second album from kiss hotter than hell after their self-titled debut in 74 so they're now around to the second cycle so things are moving quickly for this heavier music people are noticing it the kids are noticing it yeah and they're pissed off and the parents are hating it so the kids are liking it more bands are forming names that become familiar pretty quickly like raven and y&t and crocus metal is starting to happen man and priest is one of the standard bears delivering album after album getting themselves into one of those controversies in the lawsuits which we'll talk about in a bigger judas priest episode but albums like sad wings of destiny stained class british steel these things really impact and all the albums start to sell because people are getting into judas priest not just the hits you know what i mean this is how metal has developed through the years and this is the first real wave of the fans saying yeah there are fucking guys come on halford bring that shit point of entry and screaming for vengeance ushers in the 80s for judas priest and they continue to get bigger defenders of the faith and turbo and ram it down and painkiller in 1990 at that point chemistry inside the band goes askew and halford breaks company with judas priest the unthinkable the metal god has left his band. We all didn't know what to do. At that point, Marcus, I was doing the rocker show. So I was so proud to be able to put the painkiller gold album on my wall for all we'd done at MMR with it. At that point, I became an acquaintance of the middle god, Rob Halford. You know how cool that was for me, man? That's really cool. And I got a gold record. Shit. That's awesome. What I didn't know is that our association would get closer over the next few years. And that started with Fight, which he put out through Epic Records. I like it. We played it on the Rockers show, and that led them to a show at the Trocadero in Philadelphia where I really got to meet him and the band for the first time. And he did interviews with us. Was he easy to interview? For me, yes. Always very direct. And whether it was in an interview that I was doing for radio or in a discussion I was having with him as an artist when I worked for his label, which we'll get to, he's the one guy I know who looks you right in the eyes. And considering it's the Metal God, it can be a little unnerving the first time. 
I'll just say that. <laughs> I bet. Fight doesn't work out, though. And he forms two, which you said you played, right? Yeah, I was working at a radio station in Denver, and I Am a Pig came in as a radio single, and we immediately added it because it was Halford with an industrial groove. John Five playing with him. So he gets a little bit further down the line and he's looking for a resurrection. And this is when I really get to work with Rob Halford. And it was such a thrill to find out that we were going to release his solo debut album on CMC International, or the label that I worked for at the time. Now, that label specialized in classic rock artists and classic metal artists. So there's a lot of people on my list, people that I got to work with directly and rob brings in the resurrection wreck we listened to it and i just stood there and told him what i thought and i told him right then i said this is going to be a number one metal record the thing is how many rock stations can we find that have the balls to play it on their station even if just at night you things are going to be all right because it gave me that look and with his accent i just love the way he would start a sentence Roy, i think when you're talking about this that or the other thing and he would always say that so my my buddy mark would always tease me Roy, how are you today you know <laughs> That's hilarious. I just love the guy. You know, I really do. And his reunion with Judas Priest came around the time that Bruce rejoined Iron Maiden. There's two guys who can sing, right? They can sing any level. They can shatter glass. I was happy to see them both go back to their bands, even though I'd worked on the Jugulator record with Judas Priest and had worked on solo stuff and the other Iron Maiden stuff with those guys. So, But I'm glad when the real guys are working together. Well, if you notice, they sang together and wrote a song together on Resurrection. Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford called The One You Love to Hate. So maybe that meeting spurred both of them to get their bands back together in a completely far out and unrealistic scenario, he said. (laughs) Depending upon the timing, it's possible that at one point, one said to the other, Coop keeps telling me to go back to my band. Yeah, he keeps telling me to go back to my band, too. All right. Hey, let's do this little track then. Okay. I don't know, man. You know, you'd like to think that the, the message gets through. And I know that forces way bigger than their record guy are pulling them towards getting back together. And I was just glad to see it. And I've been happy for the great run that Judas Priest has been on. And I'm happy for Rob that he's happy in his life having come out and gotten married is really 100% accepted for who he is, except for a few knuckleheads. He's 100% accepted for who he is and can live his life and be the metal God without any second thoughts. And that makes me happy. You know, my friend Rob Halford, he really is part superhero, you know. His superhero power is the ability to sing with bands who need him in a pinch. Think about it, man. First time this came up is when Dio was in Sabbath and Ronnie refused to open a show for Ozzy. Now, think about the dynamics back then and all that, right? Yep. What's Rob do? Don't worry, guys. 
I got this. And that's probably where he got the idea for the next time that he would use his superhero powers in a pinch to fill in for Ozzy in set. At OzFest in Philadelphia, Camden, Happened when here. you were yeah. on the air and I was on the air producing D. Snyder's show and we were talking about it all night. And I know you were on the air that night because you were just down Pitching the hall. We, yep. we were there. Both of us should have been broadcasting live from that show. Oy, who knew? I know. Well, that was like one of the biggest ones, but I didn't realize that he'd done that thing with filling in Pirani for a couple nights because of a disagreement about the billing, I guess. How many people you know have been on stage with Metallica three different times? The Metal God. He went on stage with Pantera twice. Well, he recorded a song for Buffy this Vampire Slayer with Pantera. Like comes out of black, bitches. Speaking of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, did I ever mention that I once had drinks with her, Christy Swanson? All I could think of is there he is, the metal god, standing atop the mountain, looking out over all the metal minions, all that he oversees, that he is their god. It's got to feel really strong, man. When you go out there to one of those festivals, 50, 60,000 people, all in simpatico, in that sonic harmony that uh, Rudy Sarso talked to us about, and you're the guy who's leading it. So that's one half of our birthday twins episode with Rob Halford, the metal god, born August 25th, 1951. And in New York City, a man named Robert J. Mayo is born that same day. And we'll talk about him when we resume on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. You know, Marcus, when Marisa got back from her power walk the other day, she started doing a testimonial for Boldfoot Socks. So I told her, hold on, and I sat her down and had her record it. Hey, Marisa, tell us all about your Boldfoot Socks. You know how much I love to go out on that 5.30 a.m. power walk, and I'm usually coming home sweating and dripping wet from head to toe. But since I bought my Boldfoot Socks, that isn't true anymore, at least not for my toes. After any workout or one of my long walks, I take off my shoes, I take off my socks, and I can't believe how dry my feet are. Even my socks aren't really that wet. These are the bold foot socks that I'm telling you about. Uh, They're so comfortable that I barely feel them on my feet when I'm walking or exercising. Every time you put on these socks, there's two words in capital letters that have so much meaning. You see the words, be bold. What that means to me is that if I'm going to go out for that walk, that jog, to the gym, wherever I'm going, it gives me a message that I can give it my best shot, that I can be empowered. I know it sounds crazy. It's just a pair of socks, but that's what it does for me. And they also wick the sweat away. That's Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Check them out and be bold. Thirst. It's a need, Marcus. You need to satisfy a real thirst. And what a better way than with a nice, fresh craft beer at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hatboro. And my vinyl night is moving to its permanent home the second Tuesday of the month. Come and see us. Bring your vinyl if you want, or I'll bring mine. You can't forget that Friday nights from 4 to 11, there's live music over at Crooked Eye and open mic night the first, third, and fifth Mondays of the month. First, third, fifth. I can't do math when I'm drinking at Crooked Eye. Well, the brews are cold and they're always fresh, always the favorites and something new on the board there at the brewery location in Hapro. 
And the big news is the opening of the Crooked Eye Kitchen with Salty Vets Barbecue. Oh, yeah. All the good stuff, and we'll be telling you more about them. Serving the cure for what ails you since 2014, we thank them for their support. Of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. Want your business to have the best opportunity for success? Take a tip from tech industry leader Intel when you move or expand in Ohio. The new Silicon Heartland is the place forward-thinking business leaders find ample talent, a highly ranked business climate, convenient central location, plus an especially low-risk environment for site selection. Where else can you have all the room you need to grow while rubbing elbows with the giants in your industry? Visit successinohio.com today. You know, as good as you may be feeling, probably not as good as your feet feel right now after some fresh socks from Boldfoot, right, right? And my uh, taste buds are feeling really wonderful as well after that nice pint from Crooked Eye. The subject of our second half of Birthday Twins here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll has a question for everyone. Do you feel like we do? If ever a riff and a line from the song became so identified with a guy whose name wasn't on the front album cover? It's Mr. Bob Mayo, ladies and gentlemen. Bob Mayo on the keyboard, ladies and gentlemen. But it wasn't a straight line to the Peter Frampton band for Bob Mayo, born in New York. And like a lot of people in those days, moved to the suburbs, growing up in Westchester County, studied music, loved classical piano, formed bands like a lot of kids did. And he was on the path to attend Juilliard School, the preeminent school in New York City, when a car accident at age 17 detoured his plans. But he was determined to recover and he was able to move on and still make music his life. And like we said, a lot of kids forming bands. He formed a band called Doc Holiday with some local guys and then Rat Race Choir for a couple years. They became one of the tri-state area's best bands. He played guitar then. In a lucky turn of fate, he gets replaced in that band and ends up teaming up with Peter Frampton, who's been struggling, trying to make his way after leaving Humble Pie, and becomes part of Frampton's touring band. Timing is everything in rock and roll, they say, Marcus. And he didn't know that the recording sessions for Frampton Comes Alive, the shows, were coming. And soon, they list three dates in 1975, in June, August, and November, as the dates when the songs were recorded at Winterland Ballroom, Long Island Arena, and SUNY Plattsburgh in Plattsburgh, New York. The Miracle of the Studio produces an amazing double album. And there he is, Bob Mayo, in the middle of it, our birthday twin boy. In the days before heavy synthesizer use, Frampton really relied on his guys. There's only the four of them. 
So Bob chipped in whatever he could. He played a little rhythm guitar, did some vocals. Same with Stanley, who was the bass player, Stanley Sheldon. And John Siomos, who played drums, they were the unit that's on that album, no matter what dubs were done later. So Fate steps in, just like it did with the accident, and gets him on track, on the keyboards, Bob Mayo. And Mayo really spends pretty much the rest of the decade with Frampton, continuing to record on I'm and You, Where I Should Be, and Rise Up in 1980, before telling Peter that he's going to go leave to do studio work and kind of find himself, I guess. So he got to really branch out. On the next album, he's providing keyboards and vocals and guitars. And he's part of their touring band for a number of years. Then he did some session work with Joe Walsh on There Goes the Neighborhood and eventually wound up being the live keyboardist for Robert Plant. Yeah, when Plant first went out solo, he was out with him. And he hooked up with your buddies, Daryl Hall and John Oates, too, man. He not only did work with them in the studio, but he toured with them a bit. And then back to his old buddy, Peter Frampton, in 94, where he seemed to really uh, enjoy working with him. And the old partners, they find the spark on studio albums and live albums, including Frampton Comes Alive 2, and an album that I worked on live in Detroit in 2000. Find that one, and I'll buy a cup of coffee. (laughs) And the road that leads him back to Peter Frampton also takes them on tour in 2004. February 23rd, they were in Basel, Switzerland. Bob had a heart attack and died on the road. Frampton said at the time, Bob was like a brother to me. I've lost a close personal friend and a talented professional and outstanding musician. Not all stories end happily, Marcus, but we are celebrating these two birthday twins, the great Bob Mayo and Rob Halford, both born August 25th, 1951. A pair of birthday twins we've been talking about discussing for quite some time, and I'm glad we did it this week. Me too. Two very incredible musicians and two very important rock and rollers. And if you've had any interactions with either Bob Mayo or the metal god Rob Halford, share your experiences with us at imbalancedhistory at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on our social media pages, Facebook, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, or at Imbalanced Histo on Twitter. And if any of my friends from the CMC International days are listening, we definitely want to hear your stories about the metal god as well. Well, we've done it, man. Somehow we're over 200 episodes on this podcast, and we just keep on rolling, man. What? That's going to do it from the Dark Duck Studios. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. This has been Birthday Twins, about Bob Mayo and Rob Halford on the imbalanced history of rock and roll.